On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, Austin and I discuss the critical moments and top storylines coming out of the Game 1 NBA Finals matchup between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. We talk about what we think is going to happen in Game 2, and then we get into some of the big trade rumors circulating the NBA. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Break in the Game Show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie. I'm back, and ladies and gentlemen, so is my good partner in crime, Austin Carr. Austin, how you doing today, brother? I'm good, Stephen. I'm good. It's been a nice day. I've had a lot to get done. How about you? What you up to? Oh man, just uh, had a long day at work, but um, you know, able to come back and talk some basketball with you. Chilled with the family a little while earlier, so life's good for me, man. Can't complain at all, and I'm excited to get into some basketball discussion with you today. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we got a fun show for everybody today. Absolutely. Well, before we get into it, Austin, let's go ahead and let everybody know that support for this show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-base grooming. Manscaped offers you guys, through us now, 20% discount and free shipping using the code BTG at your checkout. And that BTG obviously stands for breaking the game. Austin, our friends from Manscaped hooked us up with some great products. I love their line. What do you think about them? Oh, man, you know, can't go wrong with any of the stuff that they have. All their products are great. You know, the underwear, the undershirt, the foot duster, all that stuff. You know, I mean, anything, anything you can think of in terms of male, male grooming, they, they have, and, and it's the best. So you can't go wrong. Absolutely. I love the foot duster. I brought it with me um, at my work. I love like in the middle of the day, being able to hit it or hit my feet with that foot duster. It's a pretty refreshing spritz and keeps my feet feeling fresh. Wear the boxers all the time. I talk about that enough. I feel like already though. I'm sure everybody at work at your work appreciates it too. Yeah, I actually had a friend of mine at work um, go and buy the new lawnmower and got him a nice care package and told me that he used the promo code. So, awesome. you know, sh- uh, you know, sharing the love at work and you know, trying to help guys help themselves a little bit. You know, absolutely, absolutely. There's no no excuse anymore these days, guys. And just go ahead and might as well go with the best products, right? Absolutely. And speaking of the best products, man, we're here. We're on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. We got great sponsors. We work with some great folks over at Off The Ball Network. Be sure to go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. Austin, you and I are pretty frequent contributors to there for the basketball side, but we have great you know, guys who talk about football, talk about MMA. All that fun stuff is located on the website. Oh, yeah. You know, anything you want in terms of football coverage, college or pro, you know, UFC, sports betting, sports betting in general with, you know, Kenneth and his golf stuff and and soccer. I mean, mean, honestly, like we've got a little bit of everything now and we're we're growing every day for sure. Yeah. Go ahead and hop on that bad wagon before it passes you by. So speaking for on bad wagons, Austin, two two teams matching up for game two tonight, talking about. The Milwaukee Bucks going back to Phoenix for game two. First game didn't look so hot, Austin. We're going to talk a little bit about some factors that went into that, what both teams can do kind of moving forward. But overall, what was your feeling for game one? Um, I wasn't too surprised. You know, Phoenix has had all the all the momentum like going into the series. Milwaukee's trying to get over a Giannis injury here. You know, Giannis was doubtful until about, what, an hour before the game, and then it came out that he was going to play. So, mm-hmm. um it was a little bit surprising that they were up by as much as they were, but we've seen this before from this Milwaukee team. They look terrible. And then all of a sudden in game two or game three, they will beat the other team by 25, 30 points and turn it, turn everything around. Um, but you know, overall not surprised. It was the outcome I expected in game one, just maybe a little bit surprised at how easy it seemed for Phoenix. How about you? Oh, absolutely. And before I get into my take, just to recap everything that happened on game one, there was a 118 to 105 victory. Phoenix, obviously the the home team, took that game. Austin, a lot of people kind of felt the same way as you, that Phoenix was the better team. They were the deeper team, the more complete team. I kind of hold off and 
even though I haven't watched the entirety of the playoffs, you know, I feel like that's been established already. I still hold out hope that Milwaukee can kind of learn from this game and put things together. Um, we didn't see the the best outing from Drew Holiday, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. You know, it wasn't a very well-rounded team effort. Chris Middleton actually showed up. He was the best player for Milwaukee. I think if that's Milwaukee's worst look and it was, you know, relatively close towards the end of the game, I think yeah. that there's enough there for Milwaukee to kind of hang their hats on and come back um, with a little bit more pride and energy in their next game. But ultimately, it looked like it was Phoenix's game through the entirety of it. We're going to talk about the defensive coverage that Milwaukee used in this game and how I think that they need to adjust that moving forward. I mean, but ultimately, dude, it was it was Chris Paul's game for the taking. Devin Booker had a great outing. DeAndre Ayton has Im- improved on his you know, trajectory as to maybe one of the best bigs in the NBA next season. Austin, what do you think about that? Um, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I think DeAndre Ayton has obviously unlocked something in these playoffs that he's he's figured out because 22 and 19. I mean, he's just he's just unreal. Like him, Booker, and CP3 all just played out of their minds in Game One. So that might actually make Milwaukee feel kind of good. You know, Giannis was coming off an injury, not 100. percent We didn't play very well. They played about as good as can be expected, and it wasn't that you know we weren't that far off from being in the game at, at certain points. And they're at home. So I think there's a lot of a lot of things that Milwaukee can, you know, cling to in the locker room and the message that they can send before game two. We all know, you know, if Giannis gets healthy and has a big game and Middleton has, you know, one of his games that he's been having all playoffs where, you know, he scores 35, 37 points. Like I said, you know, Milwaukee could win a game, could win game two by as much or more than Phoenix won game two. But I don't know. From what I saw, CP3 looks pretty locked in and, and like he's going to be pretty hard to stop. What do you think? Yeah, Chris Paul, it looks like he's a man of destiny right now. You know, he's been in the league for quite some time. You know, he's, you know, 36 years age of, of, of age and older. Uh, he just looks like it's his time, man. And it's one of those things to where he looks comfortable in this element. It's the, It's only the first time he's been in the finals, you know, and we've talked about that at length a little bit, too, that both both teams have a lot of guys who have never been here before. And when you have teams that neither one have been there before, it seems like it would benefit the guy who's been in the league for quite some time and been one of the greatest point guards to ever lace them up. You know, I think Chris Paul, you know, he had 32 points. He also had nine assists. He kept his team involved. He had four rebounds as well. Let's not discount what he did on the defensive end either. You know, uh, holding Drew Holiday to a pretty subpar performance as well. So I think that that aspect of his game hasn't been discussed enough for game one because, you know, Austin, we live in an era now where it's points, rebounds, and assists. It's only three stats that people care about on top of the, you know, win and loss column. But other than that, you know, Devin Booker had 27, 6 and 2. And we already talked about DeAndre Ayton having 22 and 19. I was pretty proud of the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo had, you know, a 20 and 17 game coming off a hyperextended knee. The third best player for Phoenix had a better statistical, you know, output than him. Awesome. What do you think about the impact that DeAndre Ayton is having on this series so far? Well, I mean, you said it right there, 22 and 19, like that's, he matched Giannis, you know, point for point, rebound for rebound. And yeah, Giannis was hurt. But I think if, if you go into this series and say to Phoenix, all right, DeAndre Ayton's going to have the same stat line as Giannis throughout this series. They'd be pretty happy with that. <laughs> yes. At least their third option. He's become their third option. He wasn't even really their third bona fide third option before these playoffs. And like I said, it's just, it's interesting to see that um, in today's era of pace, pace and space and run and gun and shoot all these threes and all these weird lineups that we're watching this Phoenix team kind of dominate these playoffs from a from a half court offense and a traditional looking lineup. And yeah, they they're a little bit more switchy than maybe lineups from the past that you know you're comparing them to. But still they play a, like a traditional big man. They play a point guard that's not, you know, 6'10, uh, which is kind of the rage now it seems like. Yeah. And they just they slow the game down and make make the defense make plays and the other team can't seem to slow them down at least not yet. No, for sure. And I I liken DeAndre Ayton to what we're seeing as a I know that this phrase won't make sense at face value, but if you marinate on it a little bit, I feel like you'll understand what I'm getting at here is that DeAndre Ayton is a modern day traditional big man. And I know that that kind of seems like an oxymoron. How can you be a traditionalist and modern day? Right. But I think that 
if a lot of what the big man brought to the position in the NBA in the, you know, the seventies, the eighties and the nineties, maybe even up into the early two thousands, Deandre Ayton can do a lot of those same things. Now it's just that the game is different. So I feel like those traditional big men would have basically be playing a similar style of game as what we're seeing with Deandre Jordan right now. So I think that when you consider that Austin, Deandre Ayton is Again, he's a modern day traditional big man. He doesn't do the outside shooting. He doesn't have the offense run through him. He is not necessarily the biggest focal point on the offensive end, but when the ball is given to him, he has enough offensive repertoire to be effective in the paint. He rebounds and he stifles the offense on the other end of the ball. Austin, what do you think? You know, it's, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that most teams aren't really used to defending a traditional big man this year, especially this year. At one point, uh, Synergy, you know, your favorite site there. Love Synergy. A, I had a stat that I showed you guys in the group chat about Joel Embiid and how at the All-Star break, he had like almost 500 offensive possessions from the post. And that he was number one in offensive possessions in the post. So the, the number one defender to defend possessions in the post was at like 42. <laughs> so guys don't really consistently defend big post players anymore. I don't think not, not this year. It seems like at least, and he's, he's kind of feasted on these little small ball lineups and, you know, Milwaukee can't play a guy like PJ Tucker at center with, with Aiton in there doing what he does. Not unless Giannis is there to help or middle, or I mean, uh, Lopez and some other guys, because Aiton's going to take advantage of those small guys all day long. Well, yeah, absolutely. And the small guys in turn will take advantage of a Brooke Lopez. And that's something I want to get into here in a little bit. But let's focus on the other side of the ball. And I feel like anywhere you're looking now for any sort of analysis or breakdown in this game, you're going to get a lot of praise for Phoenix and rightfully so they won this game. But let's talk a little bit about Chris Middleton for the Milwaukee Bucks. He had himself a decent game, 29-7-4. and You know, he's the guy that we're starting to talk about in our circle of friends, you know, on the group chats and halftime app and things of that nature, um, that Middleton needs to kind of be your closer. He needs to be the the guy that the offense is running through a little bit more in certain situation as opposed to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, again, he had 20 points, 17 rebounds and four assists. It's not terrible. But Middleton being the leading scorer, you still lost by a considerable margin. Is that something, Austin, if you're Coach Bud here, that you're looking to move away from Middleton or you're trying to look for more players to run off of Middleton to to kind of help get them a little bit more open and easier looks? I mean, Middleton was their leading scorer, yeah, and, and but Giannis wasn't his normal self and Drew Holiday didn't play well. I don't think the answer is to take the ball out of Middleton's hands at all. I think he's right now the most important person for Milwaukee. I think the offense goes through him so much better than it ran last year in the playoffs when it went you know, strictly through Giannis for the most part. Um, it helps them get guys like Giannis and all those three-point shooters in a little bit better position. And I just I think Middleton's the key to this team. And 29-7-4 is great, but you know, Lopez didn't didn't really have an incredible game. He did all right. Giannis didn't had a, almost had a 20-20 game, and I'm sitting here saying, oh, he was just okay. You know, <laughs> right. But, when you average 29 and 15, 20 and 17 is is pretty good for coming off, really good for coming off an injury, but it's it's not like a, you know, a NBA finals, you know, big time performance that you need from your star. And then Drew Holiday didn't, didn't really show up at all. And uh, or at least not much. And so I, I just think the offense is not necessarily where they need to make the adjustments. It's how they defend Phoenix is where they, they need to make more adjustments for sure. Yeah, and it comes down to where do your defend who do your defenders cover, right? Do you have Drew Holiday on Chris Paul, Middleton on Devin Booker, and then maybe Giannis on DeAndre Ayton? But then it kind of limits what you do defensively with guys defending like a Mikel Bridges, a Jay Crowder, or you know, we're not going to see Dario Saric. We'll talk about that here in a little bit as well. But, you know, a Cam Johnson, so to speak, on on Phoenix and with the injury of, you know, Dante Giovincenzo, we've talked about that a little bit as well. It kind of limits the flexibility that you can have on the defensive end of the ball if you're Milwaukee. So, Austin, we'll roll right into it. I want to get into some more stats here in a little bit as far as how the game went in game one. But I want to talk about Milwaukee adjustments first, okay? The drop coverage has been the biggest focal point, the biggest area of crit- criticism 
that analysis all over basketball media have been talking about with Milwaukee. One, do you think that the drop coverage is kind of something that you need to abandon entirely? Or two, how do you how do you tweak your defensive coverage if you're going to be defending Phoenix? Well, I I don't think they can really uh, uh, you know get away from the drop coverage too much. I don't think they can completely you know just abandon it because that's what they did all year long. That's what most NBA teams have done all year long, and they do it for one simple reason that it, it's really hard to stay in front of a guy, let alone in today's game, and not foul him, let alone fight through screens. And it's a lot easier to just switch everything and. The drawback to that is you get you get bad matchups defensively, and I don't think the answer is is having a guy like Brook Lopez out on a out on Chris Paul one on one, you know, or hedging him out hedging out there and trying to take away the jump shot off the screen because I think the shooters in the corners and on the perimeter after he drives are what is going to hurt them more. So I don't think that you go away completely from the drop coverage. I just think you have to do what you can to put him in a position where Giannis is the guy that's that's switching and or pj tucker or any really other than brooke lopez i think they could have a lot of options it's it's going to be hard without dante divincenzo i think we talked about that a little bit the other day mm-hmm. uh, that with him out like you know that's they're going to really miss his defense in this series it's just it's a it's the time as old as time kind of story in the nba it's like how do you defend a great pick and roll it's really really hard to do yeah, in today's NBA, it's it's very hard, and the switchability on the defensive end has become one of the, you know, more more paramount things that you have to focus on on the defensive side of the ball. But again, you have a PJ Tucker who's a pretty solid defender. You know, you lost Torrey Craig, who you did have on this team, then you cut him, and then lo and behold, Phoenix picks him up. So you're you're dealing with a little bit of a guy who knows your system, kind of, so to speak. Not he doesn't may, maybe know the ins and outs because he spent most of his time in Denver prior to to Milwaukee, but the defensive side of the ball is something that Phoenix took advantage of, so to speak, when Milwaukee w- was faced up against them. But how about this? Giannis Antetokounmpo, we talked about how he had a decent game. Austin, he only put up 11 shots. Do you think that the injury had a lot to do with that, or was Chris Middleton just feeling it and you had to give the high hand the ball? I think that was kind of the game plan. They didn't want to push him too hard out of the gate right away. And, um, you know, he was he, obviously 20 points on – on 11 shots is pretty efficient. So, yeah. you know, I think for the most part, you don't want him going too crazy. And Giannis is the type of player that's not going to hold back, I don't think at all. He's He, he may need to be saved from himself a little bit in some instances. Because could, I could see real, real easily he goes driving down the lane and does one of those, you know, spin moves that's just so violent and, and just, you know, tweaking that knee again and he's done. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not – the best option for him to play in game one, if, if, you know, all things considered, but it's the finals. So of course, if he's able to, they're going to, they're going to put him out there. But I do think that that was probably a little bit by design. And I think in game two and, and going forward, you'll see him get a little bit more, more of his share of the, of the touches for sure. Yeah. And especially, I think it, it all depends on who's going to be lined up opposite of Giannis. I don't think that you're going to see a lot of Deandre Ayton on Giannis. I could be wrong, but I mean, Typically, what we're going to see is, um, you know, it's probably going to be a mixture of Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, some of the longer switchable forwards that that Phoenix possesses on that side of the ball. But we talked about how Giannis just now, Austin, wasn't super aggressive. How about Drew Holiday? We need we talked about him. Does he need to be more more assertive on on the offensive side of the ball? He's he only had ten points. He did have um, nine assists and seven rebounds as well. So what do we what do we look at when we see Drew Holiday in Milwaukee against Phoenix? Is it so much that Phoenix just kind of has his number, or is the moment kind of too big for him? Do you think? Well, it may have just been Game One NBA Finals jitters. It may just he was pressing a little bit, or it may be that Phoenix's defense is is just shutting him down. I don't I don't have any numbers in front of me to show what he's done against you know Chris Paul in his career or against Phoenix's defense this year. But you, you got to get more than 10 points out of your number three option when the Suns' top three guys are all going for 32, 29, and 22. Oh, right. Whatever it was. And, you know, Drew Holiday has been the catalyst for this team. He's been like the difference from last year to this year when Giannis, you know, was getting doubled and triple teamed and, and you know, Middleton's hitting shots, but they need somebody else to come through. He's been that guy for them more often than not. And they're going to need him definitely to be more aggressive. 
I think he's got to attack the rim as much as possible and try to try to make some things happen when he gets the ball in his hands. And 10, 9, and 7 is great, almost a triple-double, but like I said, they need him they, they need him for his offense and his defense. He's obviously a great defender. Everybody knows that, but he's been, you know, paramount for them on offense this year, and they, they, need, they need that again in game two and going forward if they want to uh, be able to keep up with this offense that Phoenix has. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's switch gears a little bit here. Phoenix, what do they need to do to, to, to keep it going? You know, some of the key focal points that I wanted to discuss with you, Austin, is do you think that they're best off keeping it balanced? They had six players who were in double figures. We just said, Austin, three of those guys were over 20 points, that being their, their top three players. Do you think that a well-balanced attack is something that they need to look for in game two? Or do they just kind of need to go with their their stars and hope that the others have a decent game i think they just keep doing what they've been doing and keep sharing the ball and moving the ball and playing together as a team and let devin booker make shots when they need him to let chris paul make shots when they need him to and and feed ayton when he can make those easy buckets because they're getting a lot of easy buckets out of him they're getting a lot of open shots from the way they move the ball and devin booker's just been big time and time again for them chris paul's been big time and time again so I think it's a good mixture of, of you know, team play and spreading the, spreading the ball around while also knowing when to rely on those stars. Because in the, in the big moments and when they need baskets, it's been like one of those two starting guards has just been there all playoffs long. Um, but I'm kind of interested to see what you think about that. I want to know what you think Phoenix is going to do. So again, I haven't got the I haven't had the pleasure of watching these uh, playoffs for for this year, um, but from what I've seen from Phoenix, I do love the fact that it's kind of like your turn, my turn almost. And typically, we see that with star-studded teams, with like a Brooklyn, how they have James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. You kind of have to go through phases where each one of these guys have to control an area of the game just so they feel like they're not being left out. Phoenix, on the other hand, it's almost like your turn, my turn, you know, where it's like, okay, book, I'll let you cook for a little bit. Okay, now eight and I'll let you cook. But ultimately, me, Chris Paul, the maestro, I'm going to finish with a game high 32 points, nine assists and get a couple rebounds and play pretty, you know, superior defense as well. I think that when you look at how Phoenix is doing it, a little bit more of an egalitarian style offense is a good thing, but it's you don't want to default to that you know if a guy is struggling i get sometimes you want to kind of boost their confidence get them easy looks but you don't want one guy like a devin booker i think is one guy who could easily fall victim of of a hero ball moment in the playoffs in a close game especially you know learning from the great kobe bryant not not that he would be selfish but not being shy of a moment where i think a chris paul with is has been around long enough to know that okay maybe maybe i don't have it right now let me see if i can give someone else the ball what do you think about that approach austin i i think that's spot on i think you know devin booker definitely seems right now like he's at a point where you know if they let him just go and, and let him take over he'd, he'd shoot almost every time down the floor and not and not in a bad way not in a ball hard sure. way but he'd be the one out there like i'm gonna make this happen for my team uh, he, a lot like Kobe Bryant, and that was a, that was a perfectly good example of that. There, um, I think Chris Paul's the ultimate master at knowing when to get his teammates involved and when to kind of take it himself. And and he's his his run to the finals this year just has felt like it was written in you know in the stars that this was going to happen for him this year. It just seems like there's no stopping him, and he's been he's been so good and so close for so long. And there's always something bad that happens, some injury or some some weird fluke thing. And this year they've gotten past all those and he's, he's showing everybody why all the advanced numbers have him in like the top of the top of every list of all time players. And, you know, the eye test hasn't always matched up to quite as good as what some of the numbers show him as, but for the most part, if you really watch him, like, you know, he's, he's, it's like a master. It's like watching a master class of how to run a, how to run an offense, how to play deep, how to play basketball. And I, I'm just happy for him. And I just think they keep doing what they've been doing. And the, the recipe they have is, is, has been successful. hundred percent. And I love what Chris Paul is doing in, in these playoffs so far. So another focal point, Austin, is we took, we just got done talking about how great the bench is and how deep they are as a team. 
They just lost Dario Saric. He's out with an ACL injury for the rest of this playoffs. We don't know how long that's going to extend into next season if it does at all. Hopefully he recovers soon enough. But without a Dario Saric, the, Phoenix does lose a, lose a little bit of versatility You know where he could run that backup four. He can run the backup five. He can play make a little bit. He can play inside, outside. His defense isn't really necessarily anything to write home about, but he does a decent job playing within this, the Monty Williams uh, scheme on that side of the ball. What do you, is this something to be overly concerned about for Phoenix, or do you think this is something that they could make a, a, a few adjustments and, and just kind of carry on smartly? I, I think it, it, it hurts them, but it's not something to panic over. Um, I think it's just... You know, here we go, though. Up until now, Phoenix has been the healthy team all the playoffs, and the healthiest team usually wins, especially, it seems like, in this year. So now both teams are going to be without kind of a, a pretty important role player that due to injury. Each team's missing one guy, you know, or one important guy that's going down in these playoffs. So I think they can adjust and 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 really, you know, gloss over this kind of and cover cover up the the loss of Saric. He's been good. He's he's mm-hmm. he's had moments, but he's not like the focal point at any given time. He's not like especially vital. And, you know, it's what six more games at the most. Like I think they need to play these guys a lot of uh a lot of time and uh you know, give them give the starters their minutes and play play the the stars. You know, I don't think they're going to be too worried about coming out. So depth, I don't know is something that they're too worried about. And Saric was, has been important to this team, but I still think they're they're deep enough and good enough without him to, to finish this off. For sure. And we have a couple minutes until the start of the game. Um, who do you think Phoenix is focused on? Who who Who's the guy that they're game planning around the most right now, Austin? Well, I mean, you've got to think Giannis is definitely in, in that conversation for sure if he's healthy. But he, he may not be 100% yet still. I think their focal point might be Drew Holiday because we've seen, you know, Chris Middleton's probably not good enough on his own with a hurt Giannis to really beat this team. Um, I, I just think whatever Monty Williams has been saying since Game One of the Lakers series, he's, he just needs to keep going with it, rolling with that because they haven't they haven't had a moment yet in these playoffs where they felt like they weren't going to win, at least not to me. Even even when the Lakers were ahead in their series two to one, or when it was one to one, or whatever it was, when they I think they went up two to one, and it, even then it just never felt like Phoenix ever was worried or ever panicked or or was even count like out of it at all. And I just think you know shutting down Holiday worked in Game One. Let's try it again in Game Two. It's not a bad approach. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. So, Austin, coming into game two, some of the stats that happened in game one, Phoenix was only 1.1% better at um, from the floor overall on only one more shot made than Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Milwaukee was actually 12% better from deep on five more made threes. But what kept Phoenix ultimately in control of this game is that Milwaukee was 9 of 16 from the line. Phoenix was 25 of 26. Milwaukee was plus four in rebounds, plus three in assists, and had one more block than Phoenix, but Phoenix had five more steals, four fewer turnovers, two more points in the paint, and fewer fouls by a margin of four, Austin. So something to keep in mind there, these what I like to call winning stats. It looks like they were split right down the middle, but ultimately, anytime you can get help from the free throw line, the team usually that wins in that margin wins the game. So Austin, that kind of wraps up what we want to discuss about for the Game 2 preview. We have some pretty interesting trade discussions that are in circulation for the NBA right now. The biggest name and the biggest team that has any sort of rumor at all, I feel like, Austin, is Kimball Walker to Oklahoma City. As we know, Oklahoma made a deal with Boston to move Kimball Walker to OKC for Al Horford and Moses Brown. A couple pick exchanges in there as well. The Lakers are reportedly looking to trade for Kemba, and those rumors say that the Thunder would want Kyle Kuzma and this year's Lakers draft pick. What do you think about these trade rumors, and ultimately what what are some of the fit concerns that you see moving forward if this were to happen? Well, it's it's a lot to give up your first-round pick and a young, you know, role, you know, important role player like Kyle Kuzma for a uh, a, on the wrong side of 30 guard who's coming off some pretty bad injured seasons where he just hasn't looked like himself. And he's he gives you the worry because do we know for sure that a guy that is his size in this league is going to be able to come back from all these injuries and be the player that he was? 
We don't. That that's what worries a lot of people. That's what worries me. That being said, if he returns to Kemba Walker two or three years ago, I think the the fit is just fine. I think that it, it'll make it work because he can kind of take the the Schroeder uh, spot in the lineup, Dennis Schroeder spot, because he's not. If he's asking for 120 to 200 million dollars, he's not coming back to LA. Like this, mm-hmm. there's no way. And I always thought it would be kind of apropos to have him in a sign and trade in, in this deal and send him back to Oklahoma City, you know, where he kind of got his start. He didn't, didn't get his start, but where he's played the last few years. Um, initially, I would say this: it's until you know for sure if Kemba's healthy. I would say that Oklahoma City probably wins the deal because they get they've got a player that they know what they're getting in Kuzma who probably will have a little bit of a resurgence with a, a change in scenery getting out from underneath LeBron James and and all this pressure that comes with being in law on the Los Angeles Lakers. Like he was the one guy they kept for mm-hmm. in that Anthony Davis deal. He was the guy that they, you know, hung their hat on and he just really hasn't improved, especially statistically at all the last couple of seasons from what was a very good, you know, debut and as a rookie in his, in his second year. But, uh, I think ultimately, if, if it happens, I think a lot of fans will be happy because a lot of them are fed up with Kuzma. And <laughs> yes. it, gets another, it gets the Lakers another you know name, and they like the big name type of players. And if he's healthy, it's a definitely going to be a win for the Lakers. Yeah, I I don't think that he's necessarily going to be a healthy guy again. And the fact that he's undersized, not playing in a Brad Stevens defensive scheme where He's kind of hidden and not really a liability at all. It depends on who the assistant coach is. Scott Brooks is rumored to be joining there. He's more of a defensive-minded. He was an undersized guard as well, but a defensive-minded coach. Um, It's it's hard to bet against a LeBron James team winning a trade, right? But I'm kind of with you. I think Oklahoma City that if you know they could they could land a draft pick and Kyle Kuzma. I mean, I think Oklahoma City is just happy getting a draft pick in general, let alone getting another guy who they could end up (laughs) enter training again because Oklahoma City has Darius Baisley who plays that similar position. We don't know who they were going to be trading or who they're going to be drafting this season at all. So do they go for another forward, you know, with the the guards that they have in SGA and Lou Dort? We're going to be talking more about possibly another guard playing in Oklahoma City here in a little bit. But ultimately, I think that Oklahoma City wins this trade. I think this is kind of a almost a desperation move in my eyes for the Los Angeles Lakers because not only is Kimba getting older, but LeBron James is getting older, and you know he made the second team. I feel like on a on a um, what do they call it a lifetime achievement award as Absolutely. opposed to actually playing games this season. But um, I think that Oklahoma City walks away victorious in that deal, Austin. I agree too, and, and to, for the Lakers, you know that that draft pick doesn't really fit their timeline or help them with what they want to do right now, which is compete mm-hmm. for a title again. Obviously, they they feel they need guys that can contribute right now with with LeBron and AD, and I think that's absolutely right. Like they've got Taylor Horton Tucker, who they honestly can't find enough time and, and you know possessions to kind of really develop him the way they'd like to, and that's just by design because this team is is built to win right now and not really develop those guys. So, you know, I think he he's another interesting piece, too, that, that you know, is probably going to be intriguing to a lot of teams. You can see the Lakers do some serious revamping, and this may just be like the first, you know, the first domino to fall here, so to speak, um, because I think they're, they probably feel that with a healthy return of both their stars and a Kemba Walker, you know, they're going to be right back in the thick of things, and you've got to hope that they can – make whatever moves necessary to win right now. And I, I don't think that draft pick is something that really matters to them and that for that timeline, so to speak. Sure, absolutely. But here's another question, Austin, is the the fact that Lakers are making now short-term, you want to appease LeBron James. I'm sure that they would love for him to retire a Los Angeles Laker. But do you consider Kimball Walker to be a long-term running mate for Anthony Davis for when, if LeBron James either moves on or retires? Oof. I don't know. Is that have you ever really thought of a, a worse pairing of guys to have to pick between the, who's the number one? I mean, obviously, talent wise, we know who's the number one, but neither of those guys have been successful in any way as the lead guy, and I, I don't think it's necessarily the his long term running mate. No, 
uh, I think he's more of a let's win a title this year while we still have LeBron and kind of go from there. Mm, that's fair enough. Yeah. And again, both of these guys between Anthony Davis and Kemba Walker have had no shortage of injury concerns either. So right. it's a lot of money tied up between two players just to kind of keep LeBron James happy, in my opinion. Glass. $150 million on one guy that's made of glass and $200 million on another guy that's made of glass. That makes me nervous. And it should. If, if I'm a Los Angeles Laker fan, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily too keen on getting Kimball Walker to to run with this team. But if Austin. Some, if, it's, if it's the best option they have in this for to get another big-name player, they, I think they kind of have to do it. But I, I definitely hope that they explore other options first. Yeah, that would not be um, – uh, the one alpha on my board of things that I'm trying to do this summer. No. <laughs> so Austin, we have another rumor. Um, ben Simmons, there's, there's rumors of him being traded to Portland and this one would involve uh, CJ McCollum. Now, Austin, you and I both know that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have had no shortage of a uh, trade rumor circulating both of their names. The, right. the fact that they're both undersized, the fact that they're, both just offensive dynamos. Neither one of them are considered to be, you know, at least league average defensively. Um, what do you think of this, Austin? Because in my in my opinion, you you're trading a guy who has never really been an all star. I felt like this season was his best chance prior to him becoming injured to yeah. become an all star and an offensive dynamo. Like I said, instead you're trading for maybe one of the best, if not the best perimeter defenders and playmakers in the NBA. What would you think of, of both teams if this move were to take place? I think it, it helps both teams tremendously with what they want out of, out of this, out of a deal because Portland needs help in all kinds, in every facet of the defense, but you know, at every position, they were the second worst or second worst defense ever, you know, by defensive efficiency this year. And CJ is definitely not afraid to take jump shots and can score the ball in bunches, which is the, the reason that the only reason that Philly's ready to give up on Ben Simmons. And I think honestly, in my opinion, I think a year and a half, two years ago, if it had been, if they had both teams had really pushed for it, there was a deal to be made where it would be, it would be Ben Simmons and a package, obviously probably with some picks and whatever else that could have brought Damian Lillard to, uh, to, to Philadelphia. Mm. So you've got to be thinking for, uh, Portland that this has got to be a huge win for them because now year, year, year and a half later, now we're getting them for CJ McCollum. We're keeping Dame. We're getting a, a perimeter defender. That's obviously one of the two or three best in the entire league. And a guy that, you know, this team definitely doesn't have a shortage of guys willing to take shots and they need a, a defender. Who's not, who's going to do kind of everything else. I just think it helps both teams. I, I think it's a great, a great, you know, base to build a trade around for sure. Yeah. And I think Ben Simmons, we, we talked about this dirt throughout the season before I had to leave. Uh, ben Simmons was my defensive player of the year for the longest time, but I think eventually Rudy Gobert supplanted him, but it wasn't by much. I just think that if you look at the defensive versatility of a Ben Simmons, you can undervalue that. Obviously he has size. He wouldn't be forced to kind of be your, your point guard, you know, obviously with the Damian Lillard. So maybe he plays a little bit more of the front court, you know, traditionally speaking, you know, the three or the four. Um, but, you know, there would be sets where he where he might have to be the the the, the playmaker with Dame off the floor. You know, they, they made the deal for Norman Powell and they have Yosef Nurkic, where I think if Nurkic stays healthy, Austin, you could see some pretty interesting um, sets between Ben Simmons and Nurkic because both of those guys are pretty nifty with with passing the ball. Absolutely, I think it opens up a lot for you know on both ends of the floor for for Portland. It, get, it just balances out their their lineup a little bit more. You go from having two undersized guards who both kind of play on offense very similar ways to who both aren't are liabilities defensively. You go from that to uh, you know a guy in Ben Simmons that's just the exact opposite. He's big, he's strong, he's he's powerful, he's a great defender, he is a great passer. And no it's no knock against CJ. It's just we it's run its course with CJ and Dame together in Portland. They've had enough opportunities and it's time to shake it up. You're not going to get rid of Damian Lillard unless he demands out and refuses to play. So you, you've got to do something like this. It makes sense to me for Portland because it fits a lot of their needs and keeps them, you know, competitive. 
and adds another dimension to this team because Ben Simmons does bring defense they just don't have. And for Philadelphia, I don't think you'd ever really have to worry about uh, Curry and Embiid being the only guys that make a shot in an entire half of a playoff game if you added a Dame or a, a CJ McCollum. You know, I think that gives them a bona fide number two scoring option. Uh, where obviously they wanted that to be, uh, I can't think of his name now, the, the other Tobias Harris. Yes. That, that obviously didn't work out for them because he wasn't, he wasn't able to ultimately shoulder the offensive load that they needed him to when Ben Simmons is out there putting up five points in a, in a do or die game in the playoffs. So I think it's great for both. I think it would be great for both players. A change of scenery might be exactly what Ben Simmons needs. And it just gets both teams a little bit more balanced and, kind of helps you know strengthen their weaknesses yeah 100 percent. and our, our good buddy from the off the ball network mo murphy wrote in and said steven and austin the dynamic duo really appreciate that um really appreciate everyone who's taking the time to write in um show support whether they're liking they're watching or they're commenting in it means a lot we love the interaction but ultimately austin i agree with you you mentioned something in that analysis, though, that I want to hone in on. You said unless Damian Lillard wants to make his way out of Portland, well, rumors are that he is wanting out. And back in early June, Austin, I'm sure you remember this, um, that he said that he was going to make no comment on his future with the right. Portland Trailblazers. This obviously happens after the firing of Terry Stotts, who, again, rumors had it via Chris Haynes, who Damian Lillard is pretty close with at Yahoo Sports, said that he didn't want to necessarily play for Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts leaves. Obviously, Damian Lillard makes his case for Jason Kidd. They don't go that route. Austin, we talked about this last week on the show, that they end up picking up Chauncey Billups. Now there's even more rumors in circulation that Damian Lillard isn't so sure on his future with the Portland Trailblazers. So, do you think that there's anything to it? Is this more just kind of we're starting to fall into the, you know, the uh, hum ho part of the season for the for the NBA, or do you think that there is some smoke to this fire that Damian Lillard wants out? Um, I don't think there is. I think it's it's just you know if wherever these rumors are coming from, it's probably from fans fans or writers of the teams that are possibly you know slated to get him in a trade. I think every year a guy like Damian Lillard, you know, this the, the stories of him being unhappy and not being able to win on the sidelines are going to be, you know, louder and louder. And the background noise is going to get louder and louder every year because they want, everybody would want to have a Damian Lillard on their team. But ultimately mm -hmm. I think Chauncey Billups is, is a guy that's going to be good for him. I think when he came out and made his stance, very, very publicly known about who he wanted as coach, like immediately when they went with someone else or when kid got picked up by someone by Dallas, you yep. know, I think if that was if he was ready to to get out of there, then he would have said something right then. I, I don't think he's at a point where he's willing to wait and see on something that he doesn't believe in anymore. And I don't think that anyone would question his loyalty at this point. And I, I just I don't think he's made it clear that he wants out at all. And I don't think Damian Lillard's the type of guy to kind of mince words. I think you're going to know exactly what he wants one way or the other when he does when he does come out and say stuff so from up to this point i just think it's a lot of rumors like every other year i think that there's a little bit to it and for the most part i would agree with you unless what we saw happen didn't happen right with terry stodd's rumored to be fired or let go or however you want to phrase it um that damian lillard really didn't have any idea that it was going to happen and then we see terry stodd's be let let loose and then immediately Damian Lillard has a guy in mind that he would want to play underneath, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. I do think that if he is wanting out, he is kind of doing it closely behind doors. Portland is one of those places, though, Austin, where it's not necessarily a, um, a you know a, a major city that people are going to want to go play for. So I think right. it's easier news to kind of get let out, even if Dame is wanting to handle it the right way. But Austin, I want to ask you: Is Portland the best fit for him? Where do you think if he doesn't go, if he doesn't stay in Portland, where do you think the ideal place for Damian Lillard to go would be? Well, I mean, it's not like Portland hasn't tried to improve this roster around him year after year. I, mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. They can't stay help, healthy for whatever reason. They can't seem to get the right pieces around him. But who wouldn't want Damian Lillard on their team? You know, where <laughs> wouldn't he fit? You know, 
I could see him going to Golden State and playing next to, to Steph Curry and and then making that work. And they're like, yeah. they're, they're almost identical. And so it'd be the same thing that he did with CJ. Just he, his running mate would be a little bit better. And a lot of bit better. Going, <laughs> a lot better. Yeah. I could see him going to a team like the Knicks because a lot of the rumors are that you know he wants to go to a a, a big huge city and a huge market because he does have his music career as well and and he's ready to kind of you know explore other you know options and opportunities. I, I could see him fitting with a team that's, you know, has been contending, but then has kind of run, you know, run its course the way Portland has. There's all kinds of options for him. I'm not really 100% sure what I think is the best fit for him. What about you? I'm, you always have something good that I don't think about with this stuff. I don't know. I mean, you hear a lot of stuff about the Lakers. I think that that would be interesting. That would solve a lot of problems for them, both short and long term. But Ultimately, I'm I'm with you, Austin. It's hard for me to envision him in another spot. I think a, a Los Angeles Clippers deal would be interesting if they could somehow do a Paul George, Damian Lillard swap there. I think that you know Dallas would be another place would be that would be good for him. Milwaukee, Miami. I mean, you said it best, Austin. There's not a lot of places that he doesn't fit next to. Even if there's already a point guard on that team, I think that he could do a number of great things on a number of teams. And I don't want to focus in on too much on the what ifs or whatever, but just more so to the fact that he's rumored to, to being, he's rumored to want to be out of Portland. Yeah. I just think that's kind of going to be the, the storyline for the rest of his career, as long as he's in Portland and they're not, you know, competing for a title, like, Oh, where's Dane going to want to go? Where's he going to want to go? And then once his contract's up, it's really going to go get wild. But, you know, we'll see. I just, right now, I think it's a lot of talk, like, like most rumors. But uh, I do know we have a couple more pretty pretty interesting ones that, that we came up with that I'd like to get to. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want you to take the lead on this one that, that you brought to my attention today. I haven't necessarily looked at it too entirely, but when you mentioned it to me, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this would be, this would be an interesting one. And it involves yeah. a, a player that not a lot of people are in love with anymore. Do you see what I did? They're not in love I with did. anymore. And then uh, 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 another really good team. Absolutely. You know, I'll go right ahead. It's something that I just kind of was brought to my attention today, too. Um, and it's the Miami Heat. They want Colin Sexton from Cleveland. And they said they're more than willing to take on Kevin Love's contract to make that deal happen. And I think uh, that might be just an absolute masterful move if they can get both those guys. I don't know how much they'd have to give up. The, the the from what I read, they like the idea of keeping Duncan Robinson, so I, he's somebody that they they see on the team. They're they like the they like Bam. He's not going anywhere. Um, do you give up? Do you have to give up a Jimmy Butler to get to get these two guys? I don't know. I think that's a lot asking a lot. Uh, Tyler Hero probably still has some trade value. They've got a lot of cap. I think they've got a decent amount of cap space where they could make it work. But Kevin Love. The last time we saw him healthy and playing for a team that he was engaged with was terrific. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he, he had he still can shoot, he still can play. I just think he's fed up being in Cleveland with a team that's completely in a rebuild. And you know, they haven't won anything really with Colin Sexton yet. And if they can get a, a really good package for for it, I, I don't know why Cleveland would give up on Colin Sexton right now. But we've seen them do crazier things before. If you're a Heat fan, you've got to be hoping this happens. And this is the other part of this thing that I thought was crazy. And tell me what you think about this. Per sources, potential love suitors include the Pelicans, 76ers, Heat, Clippers, and Trailblazers. Did you mm -hmm. ever think that there would be this much interest in Kevin Love right now? I think that the thing is, is that when you analyze uh, a player going to another team, you almost look at the dollar sign next to his name and say, is that worth it? I think a lot of these teams are hoping that he gets bought out by Cleveland, which yeah. obviously is kind of a last resort. I think that they made that clear this year when they didn't buy him out, that they're more than willing just to kind of take that contract on the chin and look to build for the future with the guys that they have on that team. I think if you're Miami, you look at potentially a Gordon Drogic trade to Cleveland, maybe they're more comfortable buying out that dollar sign as opposed to the dollar sign attached to Kevin Love. Maybe you do trade a Tyler Hero or a Kendrick Nunn as well. Maybe a sign and trade with some of these guys like a Kelly Olenek or a Trevor Ariza or a, um, uh, what's his name, um, Andre Iguodala. So some of these guys that have 
cap that you can match for that, that wouldn't necessarily be a big hit to another team if they wanted to buy out a, a, a player as well. And the thing is, though, is that Miami doesn't necessarily have the the draft capital. So that would be interesting to see if they can pull that off. I think, though, if you put Kevin Love next to Bam Adebayo and then you had Colin Sexton with Duncan Robinson and Jimmy Butler, that team might be able to do a little bit of something that's pretty entertaining. But I think if you're Miami, you don't have the draft picks. Maybe the rock star um, boxer, boxing legend now, Tyler Hero, has to be on the market. I, I think Tyler Hero definitely has to be on the move in any of these trades to make this to make this work because I do think that he's got a lot of intrigue around the league as a guy that can you know be a pretty pretty you know significant scoring option for a good team and be be one of the top two or three guys on a really good team. I mean, he did go to the finals with the Heat a couple of years just you know last year with as really the second best player for or in a lot of the games and and if not the third. You know, obviously Bam and Jimmy were terrific, and then he was right there with them in a lot of those games. And but at the same time, he showed a lot of time, uh, uh, more often than not this year, how bad the the lineup can look with a combo of him and Duncan Robinson in there, especially defensively. When they're mm-hmm. not hitting shots, like they're just they're, their value is almost nothing for the for the Heat team for that Heat team. If they're not, you know, Heroes not a point guard, that's for sure. They tried to correct in position that didn't work at all. So mm-hmm. I think if, if Miami can pull it off, it, it, his value is not what it probably would have been at the beginning of last year. But if they can get this kind of a, a package that surrounds, you know, Adigo Dalla, who's, who's getting older, uh, really any of the guys on the team outside of your, your top two. Uh, and I guess they don't, they don't want to give up Duncan Robinson. So you've got Bam, Jimmy and Duncan, and then everybody else is open to be traded. I think Kevin Love and Colin Sexton, you could do a heck of a lot worse with the, the like you said, the assets that the Heat have. No, a hundred percent. And so, Austin, we're coming up to to the back end of our show. We have one more move that we want to discuss. But if in the off chance you're listening to us here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, just go follow whatever you're missing for the rest of the show on our podcast, Breaking the Game. That's available anywhere major podcasts are available. Again, before we close out, just want to give big shout outs to Manscape. Be sure to go enter in promo code BTG at checkout on the Manscaped website, and we'll hook you up with a 20% off and free shipping. Go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs. And again, if you're going to miss a tail end of the show on the radio station, just go give us a follow, give us a five-star rating and a subscription anywhere you get your podcasts, and we'd much appreciate that, and you'll get to catch up with our sign-off and then obviously this last deal that we're going to be discussing. So Austin, the last rumor that I want to discuss. It actually is centered around the NBA draft. The Detroit Pistons are looking at maybe shopping the number one overall pick. And rumor has it that they're going after potentially one of our favorite players in the NBA right now out of Oklahoma City and Shea Gilgis Alexander and that number six overall pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder. I have a number of questions that I want to get into you with on the on just this one scenario alone. First, if Detroit is shopping this number one pick, what does that tell you about Cade Cunningham being this quote unquote generational talent? You know, this hands down number one overall pick in this draft class. Do you think that that weakens his view in the NBA or are the Detroit Pistons simply doing their due diligence here? I mean, I think a package of the number six overall pick in a very deep draft and a guy like SGA is is a pretty good haul for a number one overall pick when you just, no matter what he's shown up to this point, no matter how much you know about him, he's, you don't, you don't know for sure what he's going to be. So I just think it is them doing their due diligence. I don't really see timeline wise, why they would be super interested in this. I mean, SGA is a great player, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone feels like his seal, his, you know, ceiling or the way his career is going to roll up, you know, end up is absolute, you know, game-changing superstar, which is what you hear a lot of people say about Caden Cunningham. So it's odd to me that a team that's not, you know, ready to win, you know, in the next year or two, obviously, it doesn't seem like, is kind of going after a guy that's a little bit more win now than, say, a 19-year-old next-level prospect they can, you know, build around for a couple of years. But maybe it's just that Detroit doesn't feel confident that they can build around anybody because it's Detroit and not they're not going to get a whole lot of, 
you know, look at free agents coming there because it's not a big market. So I don't know. There, there's something to it. It definitely doesn't hurt my opinion of Cade Cunningham or what I think of him as the number one pick, though. I think it weakens mine in Austin. If you remember some of the discussions that we had from the draft, I wasn't sure that Cade Cunningham was the hands down runaway number one pick for the majority of the season. And again, it's not saying that he wouldn't be the number one pick or I I still wouldn't take him first. I just think that there's some other players in this draft that I would definitely give some strong consideration for that number one pick. Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga was one. Your guy, Jalen Green, coming out of the G League Ignite team, I think that that kid is going to be something phenomenal as well. I'm still a believer in Kaminga. So, and I know that you like Mobley coming out of USC. So I think that the the already questions that I had or the existing questions that I had on whether or not Cade was the hands down number one pick. Now I'm starting to see other teams interesting and shopping him. I mean, we didn't see that happen when Anthony Davis was coming out. You know, we didn't see it when Kyrie Irving was coming out or Derek Rose or Blake Griffin. Like teams weren't shopping to see, hey, who's interested in these players? And now we see Cade Cunningham being shopped around almost already. Do you, I mean, do I, did I sway you a little bit there? Or do you still think that actually, Cade yeah. is hands down the guy? I don't really think that he's hands down the number one pick either when you put it that way. I just feel like most, just about any team can't go wrong with those top three guys, you know, the two Jalens and then him in my eyes. I don't think you could go wrong with Mobley really, but I, I don't know if you'd take him number one over mm-hmm. all three of those guys. But it does make you think, you know, he's he he's not really the the super duper athlete you like with a number one overall pick and like the the being the guy. He does have that game where it makes you feel like it's just you know so slow motion for him, like everything just comes easy to him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. He do, he doesn't really jump off the screen a lot on tape. He just does everything really really good. He's just yeah. really really well rounded and good at everything. But he, he doesn't really have a lot of those moments that those other guys have where you say, holy cow, what did he just do? And, I mean, they're, they're there, but they're just not as spectacular, I guess. And so it does definitely make me think. You're always good at that, though. You, you like making me think, and I'm not a big fan of thinking. So <laughs> I try to make people think, and I, I like to think a lot. And maybe sometimes I overdo it. This may very well be a case to where I am overthinking it. But when I see an NBA team, one that desperately needs a face, when that desperately needs a direction. And I'm hearing that Cade Cunningham is this generational hands down, just no question is going to be the number one overall pick. And they're interesting in shopping him around. It just kind of leads me to wonder a little bit. So Austin, you mentioned the grandpa game that Cade Cunningham has. You know, I I love that phrase. SGA is very similar in that aspect where he has, the game is kind of moving around him as opposed to him being reactionary. Um, Oklahoma City looking to trade him and bring in Cade Cunningham. One of the theories that exists on our group chat is the fact that OKC doesn't want to pay him, that they would just rather keep a guy of similar game style um, on a rookie scale for a little bit longer. I'm of the mindset to where you have to maintain the minimum salary. Not a lot of people know this, but the NBA says that you have to maintain X amount of dollars on your salary cap or you will be penalized. Um I don't think that Oklahoma City has a lot of those guys on their team. It doesn't sound like if they move Kimba Walker that they that they will moving forward. SGA would not be a bad guy to have on your roster to keep that minimum salary. So what do you think of the fact that Oklahoma City is looking to move off of SGA as opposed to Detroit looking to move off of Cade Cunningham? Well, I, I think everybody knows that uh, Oklahoma City's timeline is down the road. It's not right now. It's build for the future. It's stockpile all these assets and, and just you know swing as many times as you can at defenses until you hit a home run and i think they have to absolutely have to see what they can do to get the number one pick in a draft like this with the amount of capital they have what's the point in having all those draft picks because they have more draft picks more first round picks in the next four years than i think they have roster spots mm-hmm. so you know obviously the, the the intrigue of having all this is is trades and the ability to you know make your team better so i just think that maybe maybe you're right maybe it is a a money thing but ultimately it's just a there's a what fits better for their future timeline a 19 year old or a guy that's 
what, 22 or three or four or however old he is. It's been in the league for three or four years already. It's not a big difference, but it is a difference. And, you know, I just think it's something where if, if they're willing to listen, you've got to at least see what they want. Yeah. And if I'm Oklahoma city, I mentioned this in the group chat plug for the group chat. You got two top 10 picks. You got a, a whole bunch of, you know, got a buffet line of first round picks. I would just open up my picks for business and say, Hey, Detroit, I'll give you Pokashevsky. I'm not a big believer in him anyway, but there's a lot of people who are, I would say, here's five first round picks and Pokashevsky and basically anybody else that you want other than, you know, Baisley and try to see what you can do with a SGA and a Kate Cunningham and a Darius Baisley and a Lou Dort, you know what I mean? Like, and kind of try to run a young squad like that. Because again, you just mentioned it, Austin. If you have all these draft picks, at some point you're going to have to cash them in. You can't keep them all. You know what I mean? So I would almost start looking to do that now. Like you said, this is a draft where you want a top you know, three pick. Right. Maybe you don't get him, but you land green and you have SGA and green. You know what I mean? Like, does, does Houston, is Houston interested in trading back? Is Cleveland interested in trading back from three to get picks six and eight and look to build depth? You know, there's, there's got to be another team. If you can't keep one, maybe you, you suffer a little bit and only, and only land green. Yeah. You know, Houston's probably a team that's sitting there looking at their roster and saying, we need more than one guy right now. So if mm-hmm. we can get, you know, still stay in the top five or six of this draft and, and get something really, really good out of it, why not do it? So. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of options. I think this is going to be a very, very um, active kind of offseason and, uh, you know, pre-draft and even probably post-draft. Yeah, and I mean, the Golden State Warriors have two lottery picks too, one top 10 and one top 14. So there's a number of teams that I'm sure that are going to look to make moves and maybe try to land a star out of this or, you know, work their way up or down in the draft. But Austin, we're going to work our way down towards the end of the show now. And uh, just wanted to thank everybody so much for their time, um, whether or not you're listening to us here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio or you're listening to us on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you're watching the game. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, the Milwaukee Bucks won game two. I know for Austin's sake, he's looking for Phoenix to win this game. Austin, before we close out, man, as always, I just want to thank you so much for your time and the dedication that you give the show, man. Before we get out of here, why don't you let the people you know, know where they can find us and, you know, whatever closing thoughts or comments you have. Obviously, you know, BTG NBA pod is our Twitter handle for the show. Um, you can find us there, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, anywhere you can get podcasts, make sure you're downloading the podcast. So you're not missing this stuff off the ball network. You know, I do, I do a lot of work for on the site and for the site. Steven does a lot of work for the site. There's a lot of guys that are really dedicated, doing a lot of hard work to bring you great stuff. And believe it or not, I'm actually currently working on a, a an article about baseball. So okay, baseball is one of my my you know oldest loves in terms of sports. I grew up playing baseball; it's definitely my best sport that I played. And uh, it's been it's been rough the last few years for me as a baseball fan because it's just it's not the same to watch anymore. But I, I think that this article that I'm writing is is definitely worth it, worth my time and effort, and it's kind of made me watch a little bit more again. And I just think everybody's going to be everybody's going to be interested in it when uh, when it comes out because it's it's something that's not really getting talked about as much as it should be. So we'll be able to check that out soon. That's what's up, man. I'm, you definitely piqued my interest. I didn't know that you were such a baseball enthusiast, Austin. Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I played for a year in college. I walked on uh, at my college for a year in baseball and kind of just grew up on it. And I was, I'm a huge Cubs fan, so ever since they won the World Series, it kind of felt like, you know, all right, that's like the peak for baseball for me so they haven't really tried to win much since then so it's been hard to watch there you go named after a basketball player but a baseball player at heart austin carr ladies and gentlemen (laughs) all right well it's always a little bit different than you expect there you go there's a man of many skills many man of many talents and uh just one of the best co-hosts a guy could ever ask for thank you that's kind of you (laughs) absolutely well Oh, thank you so much. But um, awesome. We're going to let the folks get out of here. Um, just thank you, everyone. Again, like, share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Keep uh, supporting the show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Shout out to our guy, Mo Murphy, who just got picked yeah. up on um, Dash Radio. Is going to be airing on Mondays. Stay tuned for that. Follow him at Mo underscore cheese 15 on Twitter. Look him up on Up in Flames. 
the Up in Flames podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. And yes, again, he's going to be another off the ball network alum that is working on the Nothing Minute channel on Dash Radio. So go and support him. Go support the Hoopers. Go support us. Go support Off the Ball Pod. Um, we have the the 2K channel that's airing on Fridays now too. Off the Ball Network, you know, basically is the home of Off the Ball Network now is the Nothing Minute channel on Dash Radio. It is, and it should. Why not? You know, we got tons of good content, tons of hardworking guys. Let's, you know, let's show the world what we can do, right? There we go. Yep. Just one, just taking those steps again. Hop on the bandwagon while you can. Um, say you could just just put out that you were a day one from day one. All right. So, with that being said, Austin, we'll let the people go. Again, reminder: go to manscape.com, enter in promo code BTG, hook yourself up with twenty percent off. Hook your significant other up with a great product, with a great look and a great feeling. Get the most out of yourself with Manscaped. 20% off and free shipping. Go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs. Thank you so much for everyone for listening to us here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. With that being said, he's been Austin Carr. I've been Steven Gillespie. This has been the Breaking the Game show. We will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good one.